Hello and welcome to another episode of Liberty is Peachy. I'm your host, Kenyatta, and in this episode, I'm joined by ACLU of Georgia Executive Director Andrea Young and ACLU of Georgia Political Director Christopher Bruce. Now, they're here to recap all the movement that's happened in the 2021 Georgia Legislative Session, and I hope you guys enjoy. Well, Andrea and Chris, thank you both so much for joining me again after a historic, eventful, I'll let you two fill in um, any other adjectives that you would like to describe this 2021 Georgia legislative session. Thank you both for sitting down for this conversation. Thank you, Kenyatta. Um, Andrea, of course, uh, I know you have a few words to say. I'm, <laughs> I'm tired. And I know tired. <laughs> Georgia is tired too. So um, thank you for having this. We want to make sure that the right information is going to our members and our supporters as soon as possible. So That's right. we're bearing through this thanks to our executive director. <laughs> as soon as possible. So we are. So um, I'll let Andrea say a few words as well. If, uh, yeah, thank. We always appreciate people who listen to the Liberty is Peachy podcast. And, right. you know, we try to be a source of accurate, useful information about our civil rights and civil liberties uh, and the most contemporary things. And so last night, uh, mm -hmm. the Georgia Le Assembly ended its legislative session. And we are uh, we just want to bring people up to date on where things stand uh, and, and where we are and what some of the civil liberties issues that we, with your help, were able to defeat right. uh, or improve or mitigate the damage uh, as the case may be. Yeah, and, and that's why I'm excited about this conversation because there are some um, little tidbits in there and some late developing items, like you said, as uh, late as last night that um, we are learning about that I'm excited to hear about. But um, we can start out with, of course, the big one in the talk of the town, which is voter rights for um, Georgians and the movement that happened. So the last time um, we had a conversation, you know, we were saying that we're monitoring what's going to happen, whether it would been with um, SB 202 and all these other bills. So now having gone through session and being, you know, another signy die down in the pocket and in the books, um, where are we now uh, as far as voter rights for Georgians in, in, in moving forward? So I'm gonna let Chris go through the elements, but one of the things is that it wasn't 202. We were looking at HB, uh, Two uh, HB 531. That's right. Yep. Senate Bill 241. And okay. so about um, just about two weeks ago is with the first time that we saw the monster bill that was that became 202. We were sitting in outside the hearing room getting mm -hmm. ready for a hearing on 202. And we got a substitute that had 90 pages and was a mishmash of about five or six different uh, anti-voter bills, because 45 anti-voter bills were introduced in this session, plus some resolutions. Um, so it was a mismatch of a whole bunch of bills, plus provisions we had never seen before. Uh, and so, uh, so the bill that became uh, 202 and that was signed by the governor last week uh, was, is, was only introduced two weeks ago. And that's how they were uh, driving this. And really, um, you know, this is not popular. 
uh, but I'll let Chris sort of describe what's in it. But these are, uh, but this was a process that uh, I have not been able to find anybody, people who've been down the legislature for 30 years, no one has ever seen a bill uh, pass the House, Senate, and be signed by the governor the same day. Never seen it before. Chris? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, let's, Let's go even further back. Thank you for laying that groundwork, Andrea, because that really puts things in perspective. Voting in Georgia is not easy. Okay, let's just start there. We all knew that. We knew that when uh, <laughs> I came here five years ago, and it's been like that beforehand. If it was easy, I wouldn't have a job. We wouldn't be here. So the ACLU of Georgia has always promoted a change in voting in the state of Georgia, this was not it. And we've been very adamant of saying, no, we are going to stop anything that's going to be against making it easier or accessible for people to vote. But we knew this was going to happen. We knew that after November happened mm -hmm. and the results of the election, we knew after January especially happened and the results of that election that we were going to deal with a voter suppression bill. And this is not a political type of statement or anything else. This is truly a voter suppression bill. Whenever you have it where over 200,000 people who may not have a government issued ID makes it harder for them to vote, that is literally the definition of voter suppression. Yeah. So there's just cut through all of the tape, all of the misinformation that's out there. I'm glad Andrew was describing the process because yes, they had 7 a.m. hearings that the public did not know about. They had 8 a.m. hearings that the public was not able to get to. 8 a.m. hearings in the Senate while you had 4.45 p.m. hearings in the House. So you had nothing but all day of an assault on your voting rights. And I'm very proud to say that the ACLU of Georgia, all of our departments, our communications department, our legal department, our philanthropy department, Everyone was tuned in and locked in to make sure that we were fighting for your right to vote. That's right. Um, so this is uh, a momentous occasion. It passed, Senate Bill 202 passed in an unprecedented nature, of course. But I can say it could have been a lot worse. It's bad, but it could have been a lot worse. And it's because of the work that this affiliate's done, our coalition partners, and of course you making those phone calls, emails, and everything else. They really had an effect to the point where, if you heard the hearings, they would reference, oh, well, my constituents were saying this, mm -hmm. or my constituents will also say this. Or if you showed up to the Capitol and you testified, and a lot of you did, those really make a difference, like we were saying all along. So That's we're great. at this point now, and at this point, we have to go ahead and start educating people on the new ways of voting in the state of Georgia. But Chris, if I'm... Correct me if I'm wrong, there were at least 18 hearings on voting bills. Is that an understatement? Well, Andrea, you're never wrong, of course. So, <laughs> there were 18 hearings in the Senate on voting bills. Now, in the House, you had more hearings as well. Because remember, they had dueling, like you were saying before, you had Senate Bill 241, you had House Bill 531, and we ended up with 202. But there were over 72 anti-voting bills introduced in this legislature. To put that in perspective, normally you get about 12, if that, 12 on a regular year. 72 bills, 
72 bills that had to be uh, read, analyzed, prepped for. And like Andrew was saying, literally passed at a whim. So something that's going to impact over 7 million registered voters was passed by the House, Senate, and signed by the governor in a matter of hours that's going to impact your lives on the most basic levels. But I just want to say, too, I'm so proud of Chris and his team because the ACLU analyzed every single bill. We got uh, talking points to members of the legislature. Uh, when they came to the floor to oppose the bills, they had questions. Mm -hmm. um, so we really prepared uh, the, the folks who you know, were standing for democracy we made sure they had all the, you know, all the support, all the information, all the data that they needed to defend the right to vote. And we can do that, of course, because of the wonderful ACLU members and supporters that we have. 100%. And I was going to say in the spirit of, because one thing um, we have been talking about here in our organization that I've been loving is the spirit of transformative justice. And and, and to think about that in the context of legislative session, we were saying this entire time during the At the Capitol series with the podcast, you know, this is why it's important to pledge to take action, to, to stay engaged and aware of what's going on with our social channels and take those actions as we push them out on these pieces of legislation. So now to hear from you guys like that that information from the constituents made its way into these hearings in, in, in testimonies, it's just another beautiful example um, to show like that the the passion and the um in the work that our supporters do in our volunteers that it, it pays off and it's tangible so um yeah let me comment on that real fast uh -huh. because it's very important uh what you just said the aclu of georgia does not give money to candidates never have never will aclu of georgia does not endorse candidates <clears throat> so when it comes to the amount of power of what candidates or elected officials really pay attention to that's one of the things that they do. They pay attention to how much money you give them and they pay attention to your endorsements. We don't do that. Uh, what we do do is show them how much power we have with our people. That's right. Because that was who we are. We are responsive to the people, which overwhelms money because you can have all the money in the world, but if people aren't voting for you, it doesn't matter. So when we say we need you to call, we need you to text, yes. we need you to advocate. That's what makes the difference. Otherwise, we would have no power down there at the state legislature. Absolutely. And and I mean, through our social channels and through other members of our team with the legal observers, I mean, we've been <clears> able to see and share on the ground how passionate um, our supporters have been, whether it been protests for voter rights and then other pieces of legislation that we've been looking at and monitoring that had some outcomes that I personally now is, um, am interested in discussing um, having now be on the other side of Sine Die. And another one was SB 115, which ended up having a, a, um, a fascinating lifespan, in my opinion. <laughs> if either of you wanted to uh, give some insight or just some thoughts on, on SB 115, like I said, the lifespan of that one. <laughs> Andrew, you want to talk about that? I'll let you have that one. <laughs> Let's, uh, okay, that's fine. And um, how, where do I begin? SP 115 is a bill that basically allows the dipstick, dipstick or Department of Public Safety and Training, 
develop a training course for police officers to teach young individuals how to interact with the police. Um, sounds good on the surface, but when you really break it down, the things that happen with Ahmaud Aubrey, the things that happen with Breonna Taylor, the things that happen with George Floyd, the things that happen with hundreds, literally hundreds of people of color who have been assaulted and killed by the police. People do not need training on how to act. It's the police. So Senate Bill 115 really was an insult to injury at this time where people were calling for the police to actually become enlightened yeah. towards how to act. And, but the ACLU of Georgia took a turn <clears throat> in saying, let's work with this. Maybe we can make this into something great. And the way that we would do this, the way that we always do it, if you would say in your training, we're going to tell you your constitutional rights when dealing with the police, not only is the ACLU uh, will help you develop it, we will be for this bill. We will be for a Republican bill. We're nonpartisan, but we will be for all the Republican signers on the bill and everything else. If you can just say, hey, this is in the statute of saying you have to show your ID card when you're driving a car. Or you're saying that you can refuse a search of your car when the police have it and tell people how to deal with that. And you know what they said? They said, no. How do you say you are against telling people about their constitutional rights and the laws that you uh, promulgated, the laws that you passed and you stand by? How do you how do you literally say something like that? Um, so I'm not going to get into the long story. The short story is we won. That is literally the short story. <laughs> this bill was defeated on the last day in the few last hours after it was voted down and it was voted for in the House that had a great speech that we were shaping the talking points and everything to. Sent over to the Senate, they tried to pass it there, it failed the first time. And on the second vote, it failed again. And again, the reason why is because we were sending out action alerts of saying, you better not be for this bill mm -hmm. altogether. So yes, anytime someone's saying, we're not gonna tell you about your constitutional rights, you should be very wary about that type of program. So I am glad that is one of the victories yeah. that honestly I was kind of weary about. I wasn't taking any bets on, but we won. We won <laughs> it, and uh, I'll take the win, and I ran with it. So yes. we ran with it. And, and like you said, <clears throat> I like that that victory is rooted in the the constitutional liberties of all Georgians. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and yeah. And, and that's one of the things that we, you know, because of course, ACLU does training across the country on how to interact with the police and what your rights are. If that's right. By the police. And so we, you know, um, contacted our national office for some of these, you know, talking points that we, when we do training, you know, we teach people about uh, their rights when uh, they encounter law enforcement. And so the idea, and so you know, we proposed the amendment in good faith mm -hmm. uh, and they they prefer to do nothing rather than, you know, they prefer to, to they rejected it. Um, and so this this came to the floor. But this is the you know, this is the kind of back and forth that we have uh, with um, members of the legislature. You know, we are nonpartisan. And mm -hmm. so we're focused on the policy and what kinds of steps are necessary to uh, accomplish our policy goals. 
um, one of the other, and of course this takes on even more meaning, you know, in light of the trial that's going on right now of George Floyd uh, and this idea that people uh, would not be told that you, you know, you do have uh, constitutional rights in police encounters. And right now we're having, you know, a suit about, there's already been an acknowledgement that he was deprived of his rights civilly. And so now the question is, is there criminal liability also uh, for, the, for the behavior and, and for the, the actions that resulted uh, in the death of George Floyd? And so one of the things that happened uh, as a result of the death of George Floyd and Amar Arbery and Breonna Taylor is of course, you know, the massive protests that we saw across Georgia and across the world really um, so as we have, I think every single year, Chris, there was another bill to try to criminalize the right to protest. That's right. And this we see this every year uh, at the Georgia legislature. And I know one year, I think Jerry, maybe it may have been Chris's first year uh, lobbying for us where he gave the example of, well, if, uh, let's say the Falcons win the Super Bowl and people run uh -huh. out into the street blocking cars, they're so happy, you know, <laughs> you're going to make that a felony too. Uh, and so, um, <laughs> and so it actually didn't get out of committee that year. I think, it, I think he stopped in committee. Uh, okay. but this year, uh, it kind of, we called it the zombie bill because it started off as, I think, um, 171 and it ended up coming back as 289 so chris you want to talk a little bit about uh the right to protest bill what we call the john lewis uh make john lewis a felon act <laughs> make john lewis a felon act. yeah you can't make this stuff up because this bill really would have made john lewis a felon and to give proper credit and everything i remember being in andrea's office talking about this uh protest bill um about uh, aggravating uh, circumstances of penalizing people for protesting, because this was back in 2017 after the 2016 summer protest. And Andrew was like, well, and we're not going to get into the Falcons winning the Super Bowl because this is when the Falcons <laughs> went to the Super Bowl and should have won. But yeah, that, that literally was the example that came out of Andrea's mouth. And I said, that actually might work. And it did. It really did work of saying a real world example exactly. of, well, that's a protest and that's a celebration. There is no difference under the law. If you're blocking sidewalks, roadways, or bridges, it's against the law. And you can't say just because your sports team wins. And that's where we are. And since 2017 and now we're in 2021, they are still, every time you have people of color out there protesting for their little rights that are guaranteed under the United States Constitution. They're trying to do something to back away from it, to criminalize you for it. So yes, this bill, Senate Bill 171 originally, was defeated in the Senate. This is the behind the scenes look of it. ACLU as well as other coalitions testified <laughs> against this bill and it was tabled in the Senate. It was supposed to be dead, took the victory, right? No. And I'm gonna tell you what happened. Wow. We were there testifying against the anti-defund the police bill by Representative Houston Gaines, had a great speech, left the hearing. Once I left, next person that came up was Senator Randy Robertson. He said, hey, this House Bill 289, we're going to strip it 
and put Senate Bill 171 and all that anti-protest language into it. So people were texting me, come back, come back. You need to testify against House Bill 289. But like what happens all the wet time down at the legislature, mm-hmm. I was heading to testify against Senate Bill 202, which was the new omnibus anti-voting rights. Wow. So as you can see, there's so much that happens at one time. And that's why House Bill 289 passed through and everything else. But again, it didn't come up for a vote. So we will take the win on that. We still have to monitor it because we we're in a biennial. So the bill's still alive, but it did not pass this session. And a lot of the reasons why is because literally after Senate Bill 202 passed, so many people were focused on this anti-protest bill. Because why? Because that's what we're doing right now. We're protesting in the streets. Exactly. And this would have made you into a felon. That would have been one of the worst things that could have happened. So I give credit for this to the people. Everybody shifted. I think they thought, and Andrew, you can talk about this too. They thought the governor was like, well, maybe if I sign in 202, all the protests would stop and everything else. <laughs> no, it just shifted to the next worst thing, which yeah. is the make John Lewis into a felon act. Right. Yeah. And actually, I think, uh, I think Representative Cannon helped because she knocked on the door and they charged her with a felony. So it was not, you know, so we were not uh, exaggerating about the implications of this kind of legislation and how, and of course there were a number of people who were arrested and charged in the Black Lives Matter protest that certainly should not have been charged and subsequently the charges were dropped. Mm -hmm. But of course it's traumatic um, to go through that. Uh, And so, uh, and then you, you know, you still have this arrest on your record. And so these, you know, these are are terrible consequences uh, from any, you know, from any kind of, uh, of an arrest, even if the charges are later dropped. So it's very important. uh, And and as Chris said, the the protest turned immediately uh, to this, you know, defend our right to protest, because of course, um, you know, this was fundamental, the whole civil rights movement. you know, part of what we had to do, and the ACLU was part of that, is establish the right for peaceful protest. Um, You know, John Lewis was beaten on the Edmund Pettus Bridge walking on the sidewalk. You know, he was not even in the street, in the highway. So, uh, so these are very, very important rights. And this is, you know, this is always the thing with the ACLU is that the First Amendment rights that you know we are there to defend uh, because if we don't do it, um, you know this, you know we're not sure that anybody will stand up for these issues. So we're always there uh, when when our First Amendment right to freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, you know, are under assault. Absolutely, and you both just painted an incredible picture at just how these moving parts, it, it, it works like a watch almost, like the different moving parts, because we oh, have- did this year. <laughs> exactly, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, because we had protesters literally on the ground at the Capitol protesting for voter rights. And then at the same time, we had to have our people on the inside, um, as far as our staff, like Chris testifying, and then our supporters taking action to protest the literal rights of the people, to protect the rights of the people protesting. Right. So. Yeah. And yeah. then we have the you know folks that are you know on the legal team and other analysts that are constantly analyzing every bill, checking it against constitutional 
rights, previous case law, previous iterations of the same legislation, what's been, you know, what's happened in other places, developing mm -hmm. the talking points for them. Uh, so we try, we work very, very hard. And I think we we're very successful this year on um, that the legislators really came to depend on our materials. Uh, and they didn't have to go into uh, people, the legislators who are standing up for, for civil liberties did not have to go into hearings or go on the floor unprepared. You know, they had their, they had their questions, they had their talking points, they had a section by section on these bills, even the, even the monster bill 202. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think you could see that in the quality of the debate and the effectiveness uh, of you know preserving you know and holding the line on on some of our some of our rights that were under assault. Amazing, um, and we and we talked about victories that ended up coming about like through you know whether it had been surprising lifespans or unexpected lifespans of legislation, but we did see a, a, a large victory when it comes to um, the repealing of the citizens arrest law, um, and I know that you two both are the two ideal people to speak to when it comes to what ended up happening with the repealing of the citizens arrest law. So um, any thoughts, insight, opinions on just the journey that that took through legislative session would be great to hear from. Well, this started in the last legislative session. We, um, when the, when there was an NAACP march on the first day of, was it the renewed session in, in uh, June of June, 2020, yeah. Uh, we had signs printed up. We said, we've got to start talking about repealing citizens arrest because that was what was used. That's what was being used to for the defense of the three white men who killed Amar Arbery for jogging on in a public street. And so, um, you know, Chris raised this issue. He said, this is something we should be able to change. We started researching it. We got signs printed up. So when you see the signs from that uh, first March, those were from the ACLU. Right. Uh, and really began raising this issue and trying to get movement on it. And Chris has been back and forth to Brunswick and working with the community there, um, working on you know demonstrations that were held there. Uh, and so we're really, really pleased to see what happened uh, in the legislature this year. Chris, I'll let you pick that up. Yeah. Um, and I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna talk too much about it because uh, as you two know, uh, I think a lot of people do know this is, um, it's a personal um i don't know even with the recent events that happened the asian american women who were killed senselessly um, down here amana aubrey just doing what uh, he would like to do jogging um so uh, us as a society have not moved forward yet into this area so no, it's, it's something that's personal. I, I want to publicly thank Andrea for giving me that bandwidth. There's a lot of other things that we could have been doing. Um, There's a lot of organizations that said they were going to do something about it, but they didn't. They did it in front of the cameras and then they left. Uh, we have gone back and forth to Brunswick. This isn't calling them out. This is just the facts of it. Um, and still going back to Brunswick all the time because it there's not justice with the McMichaels um, being prosecuted or Jackie Johnson getting kicked out of office as district attorney. That's a start. Justice is when this never happens again. Now, I'm not just talking about black people. I'm talking about Asian people. I'm talking about anybody of color who's ever been oppressed 
by this country. Uh, we have to work towards this. And that's what the ACLU of Georgia is about. So to know that during that June session of 2020, the person who was the most adamantly against this, Chairman Reeves, completely against this bill, ended up becoming the sponsor of it, of saying, we need a citizen's arrest law, did the research and we helped them throughout it and publicly uh, thanking him for it, of saying it. He admitted that he was wrong at first and he was one of the proudest people of saying, Georgia is going to be the first state ever in the United States to repeal citizen's arrest. That's progress. And I think that is a, a glimpse of what we can actually become as a nation, especially the state of Georgia, leading into what we've always been, the birthplace of civil rights and liberties. That's right. Yeah, and, and thank you for that. That was an amazing um, encapsulator just of the journey of that. And, and you're right, because one of the first um, memorable things that I did was sit down and have a conversation with you, Chris, about um, the Ahmaud Aubrey wrongful death. So um, to be in this place, again, I love that little, the vein of transformative justice, because in that we get to look at all of the different steps and action from from supporters and staff and and I remember those black signs that said repeal citizens arrest I do remember <laughs> um so to, to look back on that and look at the journey and to now be at this place where we have the actual repealing um after this process of legislative session to me that's what makes this work um fulfilling and, and it allows me to take a lot of pride in it especially doing the work alongside the both of you um, so, and I know because of the, the things, the mini, the movement we had in 2021 legislative session, there's still going to be things to do, things to take action on, um, moving parts, of course, we'll be announcing everything as everything moves along, but any other messages or insight that either of you could give now being here on the other side on April 1 um, would be great. Well, one of the things that we're immediately, you know, turning to is what happens as a result of the, you know, legislation in um, SB 202. Uh, we've already filed litigation. That's that right. could be another podcast. Uh, <laughs> and we're, you know, advocating as we have been, you know, uh, for uh, Senate Bill 1 and uh, Senate Bill 4 to pass in Washington. Uh, because it, I actually just got in some analysis from our national office that uh, it will have an impact uh, on uh, Senate Bill 202 uh, and how any of the provisions could be implemented uh, in the 2022 election. Okay. Um, so even for Georgia, uh, H, you know, Senate Bill 1 and, and 4 uh, would have an impact and would uh, improve access to the ballot. Uh, in addition to that, you know, we are already looking at uh, how we expand our voter access project uh, to make sure that voters have the education they need to continue to participate at the levels that they participated in 2020. That's so, you know, we are we will roll right in, you know, from legislative action to litigation and, and to advocacy uh, with an education for voters. Um, so that the intent of this uh, of this voter suppression doesn't doesn't come to reality. Uh, the intent is to suppress votes. 
we're gonna work to make it inspire people to come out just that much, be that much more determined to come out and vote. Absolutely. And, and to really put that in perspective, she's not playing. Like, like I know legislature to litigating <laughs> to advocacy and everything else. So I mean, there's plenty of things I could say about what ACLU is going to do beforehand. But I just want to reflect back and say, again, this is our fifth legislative session mm -hmm. uh, under the leadership of Andrea Young. And I remember specifically, I was pushing for us being focused on criminal justice, and she said. We're going after voting rights, and this is what the ACLU of Georgia is going to be known for, because she said when it comes to reproductive justice, when it comes to racial justice, when it comes to privacy, everything flows back to voting rights. And I cannot think of a better decision and the leadership to navigate us through here. So just reflecting back of saying thank you, Andrea, for your leadership. Five years in the game, uh, so much more. Let's be real. We have a lot of job security here because what happens at the legislature. <laughs> but uh, I think it's with your foresight and your leadership that we are at this point and Georgia has definitely benefited from it. Um, so and the world not, benefited. No, literally. Everything that literally. people are seeing America do now, because Georgia was able to vote, That's right. the will of the people prevailed in November. Um, you know, we're in a completely different, in a completely different reality. Uh, and so, you know, we want to keep uh, we want to keep making sure that um, the policies that people really want are the policies that can prevail uh, and we can elect leaders that really reflect the will of the people. And putting that in perspective, my last thought would be mm -hmm. black women were the last ones who gained the right to vote. And now they are the highest voting demographic that we have. And not only just voting demographic are literally leading the way for voting rights for everyone. So this is where we're at and hopefully the future is much more brighter. Absolutely. And I can say that with confidence as a person who is, you know, outside of me being, you know, able to call the both of you colleagues, professional colleagues. I know that I am a person who considers themselves a, a carer and a worrier about things that are going on. But I do, I take immense pride in being able to rest assured that um, I have the proximity to the people that, like we're saying, expand not only our education standpoints, but expand our horizons when it comes to defending our democracy and defending our civil liberties and civil rights. And if I'm feeling that way, um, as someone who gets to work with you, I know and I feel like it's my duty to um, trickle that down and ensure that our supporters and our partners feel that way and receive this vital, valuable information as well. So can't say thanks to you both enough. I always say this is a treat because it is every time. <laughs> and um, and we do, we have some more conversations coming up as far as litigation goes that I look forward to having and that our supporters, supporters look forward to listening to. So thanks again to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. All right, friends. That takes so care that of another is episode. Thank you so much for listening. To keep up with all of the work we do here at the ACLU of Georgia, visit ACLUGA.org. And be sure to follow us across social media platforms at ACLU of GA. And last, but certainly not least, be sure to like, rate, follow, and subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. Just give ACLU of Georgia a search. I'm your host, Kenyatta.
reminding you to listen like your rights depend on it. Until next time.